Mr. Pickwick's conscience had been somewhat reproaching him for his recent neglect of his friends at the Peacock, and he was just on the point of walking forth in quest of them on the third morning after the election had terminated, when his faithful valet put into his hand a card, on which was engraved the following inscription, Mrs. Leo Hunter, The Den, Eatonswill. Persons are waiting, said Sam, epigrammatically. "'Does the person want me, Sam?' inquired Mr. Pickwick. "'He wants you particular, and no one else will do, "'as the devil's private secretary said when he fetched away Dr. Faustus,' replied Mr. Weller. "'He? Is it a gentleman?' said Mr. Pickwick. "'A weary good imitation of one, if it ain't,' replied Mr. Weller. "'But this is a lady's card,' said Mr. Pickwick. "'Given me by a gentleman, howsoever,' replied Sam. "'And he's a-waitin' in the drawing-room. "'He said he'd rather wait all day than not see you.' Mr. Pickwick, on hearing this determination, descended to the drawing-room, where sat a grave man, who started up on his entrance, and said with an air of profound respect, "'Mr. Pickwick, I presume?' "'The same.' "'Allow me, sir, the honour of grasping your hand. "'Permit me, sir,' "'To shake it,' said the grave man. "'Certainly,' said Mr. Pickwick. "'The stranger shook the extended hand and then continued. "'We have heard of your fame, sir. Uh, "'The noise of your antiquarian discussion "'has reached the ears of Mrs. Leo Hunter, my wife, sir. "'I am Mr. Leo Hunter.' "'The stranger paused as if he expected "'that Mr. Pickwick would be overcome by the disclosure, "'but seeing that he remained perfectly calm... Chapter 48 The Flight of Sykes Of all bad deeds that under cover of the darkness had been committed within wide London's bounds since night hung over it, that was the worst. Of all the horrors that rose with an ill scent upon the morning air, that was the foulest and most cruel. The sun the bright sun that brings back not light alone, but new life and hope and freshness to man, burst upon the crowded city in clear and radiant glory. Through costly colored glass and paper-manded window, through cathedral dome and rotten crevice, it shed its equal ray. It lighted up the room where the murdered woman lay. It did. He tried to shut it out but it would stream in. If the sight had been a ghastly one in the dull morning, what was it now in all that brilliant light? He had not moved. He had been afraid to stir. There had been a moan and motion of the hand, and with terror added to rage, he had struck and struck again. Once he threw a rug over it, but it was worse to fancy the eyes and imagine them moving towards him than to see them glaring upward as if watching the reflection of the pool of gore that quivered and danced in the sunlight on the ceiling. He had plucked it off again, and there was the body, mere flesh and blood no more, but such flesh and so much blood. 
He struck a light, kindled a fire, and thrust the club into it. There was hair upon the end, which blazed and struck into a light cinder, and caught by the air, whirled up the chimney. Even that frightened him, sturdy as he was. But he held the weapon till it broke, and then piled it on the coals to burn away and smolder into ashes. He washed himself and rubbed his clothes. There were spots that would not be removed, but he cut the pieces out and burnt them. How oh, those stains were dispersed about the room. The very feet of the dog were bloody. All this time he had never once turned his back upon the corpse. No, not for a moment.'